Like Michelle said in the video there, one of the challenges living in a place like suburban Kansas City, Liberty here in the Northland, is that it can be hard to know exactly what needs exist in our community or in the surrounding area. And the great thing that Care Portal does is that it helps bring those to the surface so that churches can access those, see what needs exist right in their own community, and then the body of Christ there can engage with those families to not only provide for those needs, but then ideally potentially to build a relationship with those families and and be able to provide care and support for them. And so if you want to be a part of that ministry here at LCF, you can reach out to Michelle, Michelle Schweizer if you know her, or if you don't know Michelle, you can reach out to the office. We'll make a connection for you. Um, we long for our church here to be able to be a tangible expression of care, support, and service to our local community, and this is a great way that we can do it. So um, if you're interested, I encourage you to be interested. Reach out to us, and we'll get you connected with that ministry. Let's pray, and then uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10 this morning. So we'll pray, and then we'll jump into that. God, thank you for Care Portal and the gift that it is to local churches seeking to serve their community. God, I pray that um, you would use this congregation, you would use the larger C church here in our area to be tangible, practical expressions of the love and care of Christ to those who have needs here in our community. God, I pray you would stir within us those of us who have the means to give and to serve in this capacity. God, would you stir in us a compassion that desires to see those needs within our community and to meet them. God, I pray that through Care Portal, we would have the opportunity to be the hands and feet of Christ. God, I pray that we would have the ability to build relationships and to share the truth and the hope and the the light of the gospel with those who have need. God, would you use that ministry, that system here within the life of our church, within the life of other churches in our community to pour out the love of Christ on those who are in what oftentimes feel like heavy and hopeless circumstances. God, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you have a Bible, Luke chapter 10, uh, we're gonna be in verses 25 down to 37. In that section of the Gospel of Luke is one of the most well-known passages in all of the Bible. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. If you're someone who's been around church and Christianity and you're familiar with your Bible, you will be very familiar with this section of Scripture. If you're someone who's new to Christianity, not very familiar with the Bible, it's possible that you're also pretty familiar with this story. When someone talks about being a good Samaritan, within American culture, we kind of have an idea of what that means and what that person is talking about. And so we're going to anchor ourselves in here this morning. Um, I want to start by just reading it, and then we'll, we'll go from there. So if you would, and if you're able, would you stand up with me as we read from God's Word? This is Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25. Then an expert in the law stood up to test him, that's Jesus, saying, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He asked him, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. 
You've answered correctly, he told him. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus took up the question and said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. As I mentioned, the parable of the Good Samaritan is one that we're very familiar with. And because it's something that we're very familiar with, uh, I want to do something this morning uh, that's going to possibly be like a stretch for some of you. For others of you, it won't be any big deal. I want to ask those of you who would normally be note takers to close your notebook and just kind of set it down beside you and just listen this morning. And the reason why is this. If you've been going to church for a long time, You've probably heard 10, 15 sermons on this particular passage. I'm not going to say anything new up here this morning. In fact, if I did come up here and say something new, the right response from you would be to think to yourself, who is this guy and what did he just say? And so because of that, there's probably nothing you're going to need to jot down any notes about. I want to just give a reminder to you, a reminder of the beauty of the gospel to your heart. Now, it doesn't mean that I'm asking you to disengage your mind. I, I still want to engage your brain. But I think this will be familiar enough to you that I want to encourage you to just listen and take a long look at Jesus with me. If you're someone who's new to Christianity or you're not very familiar with Scripture, and this is maybe the first time you've ever heard a sermon on this particular passage, same thing. I want to be able to engage your mind, certainly, But more than that, I want to engage your heart. And it might not be a reminder that your heart needs. It might be more of a plea of something that your heart needs to grab hold of and cling to for the rest of your life. And so I I just want to encourage you over the next 25 or 30 minutes, just listen. And as you listen, take one long look at Jesus with me and either be reminded of the beauty of the gospel or hear it for the very first time. This passage of scripture, which is so familiar to us, is actually a conversation. And oftentimes when we think of the parable of the Good Samaritan, we zero in on what is actually the middle of a conversation. Starting in verse 25, Jesus is approached by a lawyer. Now, when we hear the word lawyer, we think of someone who stands in front of a jury and a judge and is trying to either defend someone who's being accused of something or they accuse someone of something. That's not the kind of lawyer we have here. What we have here is an expert in the law, capital L, Old Testament law. 
This is an individual who's given his life to understanding what it is that the Jewish law says about relating to God. And he's got a question for Jesus. And that first question, because how the whole passage is going to play out is it's two questions from the man that Jesus answers with two questions of his own. So the lawyer asks the question. Jesus, by response, asks him a question. So now the lawyer has to give a response. The lawyer answers twice. Jesus gives him two sets of instructions. It's the same instructions both times. That's the whole passage. The first question frames what this whole passage is about. It's in verse 25. Then an expert in the law stood up to test him saying, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Everything that happens after that in this passage is Jesus helping this expert in the law answer that question. And so Jesus answers that question with a question. Verse 26, what is written in the law? He asked him, how do you read it? How do I inherit eternal life, Jesus? And Jesus says, well, law man, you tell me. What does God's word say? You're an expert, answer it yourself. And so the expert in the law does what an expert in the law would do. Quotes from the law, that's verse 27. He quotes right out of Deuteronomy chapter six. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. That's a summary basically of the 10 commandments. Some of the 10 commandments about how to love the Lord your God in that sort of way and some of the 10 commandments about how to love your neighbor as yourself. You could take all of the Old Testament law, think Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, smoosh it into one sentence, and there it is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, and all of your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. How do you inherit eternal life? You tell me, law man. Well, here's what I think the answer is. And Jesus says in verse 28, bingo. You've answered it correctly. Do this, and you will live. Pretty straightforward back and forth conversation there. The problem is that the answer that the lawman has provided, which Jesus says is the right answer, is ridiculously impossible. How do I inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit eternal life? You tell me. Well, the law says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all of your strength and all of your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, yep, that's it. Just go and do that and you'll live. Okay, here's the problem. Four times the word all appears in there. So this question of immense importance, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life has a very simple yet utterly impossible answer. Oh, well, what do you need to do to inherit eternal life? That's simple. Love the Lord this way and your neighbor this way. I'll speak for myself. I've been walking with Jesus for a decent amount of time, pastor of a church. I think I love the Lord with most of my heart, most of the time. I think I love the Lord with the majority of my mind and the majority of my soul and the majority of my strength, the majority of the time. But that's not what the answer was. What must I do to inherit eternal life? I need to love the Lord with all 
of my heart and all of my mind and strength and soul. And if that is the standard, I'm sunk. And the teacher of the law, the lawyer, knows it. How do I know he knows it? Look at what he says in verse 29. Wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Okay, he wrote off the first half for one of two reasons. Number one, he either thinks he's got that under control, all the alls, which is audacious, or he's looking for a loophole and it's not in the first half. Maybe it's in the second half on the neighbor part. So let's drill into who is actually my neighbor. And notice as well how penetrating this conversation is with Jesus because the man doesn't say, hey, I'd like to justify myself. Who's my neighbor? The man says, who's my neighbor? And Jesus knows the man's heart that that question is about self-justifying. What must I do, the man says, to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, you tell me. Love the Lord with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. The teacher in the law thought something about the first half, but decided that in order to justify himself, what he needed to do was find a gap in the second part. And that would be the way by he justified himself. The default mode of the human heart is self-justification. That's who we are. Now, I've been doing ministry for my entire adult career. Not one time in my life have I had someone approach me in student ministry or in this particular role and say, hey, pastor man, what must I do to inherit eternal life? We don't ask that question. In the Gospel of Luke and in the book of Acts, also written by Luke, it's actually a recurring theme that Luke brings out. That there's something about this ministry of Jesus that's causing people to ask that specific question. It happens here with this teacher of the law. It happens in Luke chapter 18 with a rich young ruler who's got everything going for himself and approaches Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In Acts chapter two, after Jesus has died, crucified, buried, resurrected, ascended up into heaven. The apostles are explaining the good news of the gospel to a bunch of people. And after hearing it, their hearts are pierced by the message of the gospel. And they say, what must we do to inherit eternal life? In Acts chapter 16, Paul is in jail, in prison in Philippi, and he gets sprung from this jail miraculously, but he doesn't leave the cell the Philippian jailer who's there with him, who could be killed for losing a prisoner, looks in there, sees that Paul is still there, and says to Paul, what do I do to inherit eternal life? There's something about this ministry of Jesus that has people asking that specific question. And maybe you've never asked it yourself, but I guarantee you, by the way you live your life and the motivations that exist in your heart, the things you do, you're trying to answer that question. What's life all about? How do I live it well? What happens on the other side? And how do I make sure that what I do in this life affects the other side of this life in a positive manner? You're trying to answer the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the default mode of the human heart in response to that question is to do something, to self-justify. It doesn't matter if you've been walking with Jesus for a really long time or you're here trying to figure out what this Jesus thing is all about. 
deep inside of our broken, sinful hearts is a desire to self-justify. It exists for me and I have to battle against it every Sunday when I get up here. If I just preach a good enough sermon, God will be pleased with me. If I just lead this church well enough, care for these people well enough, pastor, shepherd, do everything right, God will be pleased with me. What do I have to do, God, to inherit eternal life? And you're asking and living out your own attempt to answer that question and justify yourself in a thousand different ways every single day. And the answer's simple. You want to justify yourself? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all of your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus takes up the second question and he gives the parable that we're all familiar with. But he gives the parable in order to answer the question with a second question. That's all the way down in verse 36. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? So now the lawyer is the one answering a question and he says, the one who showed mercy. And what does Jesus say? Go and do the same. You want to justify yourself? Here's how you do it. You want to know what you have to do to inherit eternal life? Here's what you've got to do. You're looking for the loophole in the first half of this thing, so you're trying to zero in on the second? Then just go and have the same kind of compassion that the Samaritan had. Which brings us to the parable. In order to provide an answer to this question, Jesus gives a parable. And a parable is just a story that would have been familiar to the people at the time so that Jesus can attach a simple story to a deep spiritual truth. And there's, there's one point in a parable. We don't need to try to parse out all of the different components and turn it into some big allegory where everything stands for something else. There's one big point, And the big point of this parable has to be about inheriting eternal life. That's what the whole conversation is about. So Jesus tells this story. He says, there was a man going from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell into the hands of robbers. And those robbers beat him, took everything that he had, stripped him naked, and left him half dead on the side of the road. But as luck would have it for this particular man, a priest was passing by. To which the listening law expert would have thought, whew. But the priest sees the man laying there, crosses to the other side of the road, and leaves him. And then a Levite came by. Oh, okay. The priest didn't do anything. The Levite will. The Levite sees the man, crosses to the other side of the road, and continues on. And then conversations about issues of the law with Pharisees or scribes, Levites, rabbis, it was normal to answer questions like this in groups of three. So Jesus is providing that sort of context. And the third thing would usually be the answer. And so in this particular instance, this Jewish teacher, expert in the law, would have thought that Jesus went priest, Levite, now he's going to say normal Jewish person. And that normal Jewish person who's a lot like me is going to be the hero in the story. And then Jesus says, a Samaritan walks by. The enemy no faithful Jewish individual, certainly no respected Jewish rabbi and teacher would position a Samaritan as the hero of the story. They were scum of the earth. 
And what does Jesus say that the Samaritan has on this bloodied, beaten, naked, robbed man? He had compassion. Bandages up the man's wounds, uses olive oil and wine in order to provide some sort of quick relief there. Then he puts the man on his own animal, likely his donkey, took him to an inn that he knew was nearby, cared for him there overnight, and then the next day takes out two denarii, which is a decent chunk of money back in that day, gives it to the innkeeper and says, use this money to continue to care for this man and I'll come back. And when I come back, if it's cost more than that, I'll make up the difference. Now, Jesus says, who was the neighbor? And the expert in the law, who can't even bring himself to say the word Samaritan, says, oh, it was the one who showed mercy. And Jesus says, perfect. You want to inherit eternal life and you think it's about something that you can do? Just go and do like he did. Okay, so the teacher in the law walks away. And the point of the story is supposed to be that you understand the hopelessness of the man asking the questions. Oh, you mean all I've got to do in order to inherit eternal life is love the Lord my God with all my heart, all my mind, all my soul, all my strength, and love my neighbors in such a way that even my enemies, I would be willing to take on all the cost, all the risk, all the burden, all upon myself? And then I can have eternal life. Jesus says, yeah, it's pretty much that easy. He's got no chance. If you want to do something to inherit eternal life, the whole point of the passage is supposed to show you you are in deep, deep trouble. And yet Jesus answers the questions and gives the parable as the one who's going to love his father, the Lord your God, with all of his heart, all of his mind, all of his soul, and all of his strength. And he's the only person in all of humanity who's ever loved every single person as himself, taking all the risk, all the cost, all the burden, all upon himself, all the way to the cross for you. That, brothers and sisters, is the good news of the gospel. Your self-justifying heart wants to do something to inherit eternal life and the answer to the question is you don't have to do anything because you can't. Because if it were a matter of you having to do something, you would fall woefully, eternally short. But someone's done it for you. You've been justified by the one who has shown you mercy. That's Jesus. In your beaten down, bloodied, stripped naked, sinful state, he's shown you mercy. He has loved the Lord with all of his heart, with all of his mind, with all of his soul, with all of his strength, for all of his days, for all of eternity. And he is the one who merits the justification that this teacher of the law is asking about. And brothers and sisters in Christ, the good news of the gospel is that if you have received God's grace by placing your faith in him, one day you're gonna stand before the Lord in your moment of judgment and you're going to be hidden 
in Christ. And that means when you stand there in your moment of judgment, God the Father is going to look upon God the Son who achieved Deuteronomy 6 perfectly in your place. And he's going to look at you and he's going to say, innocent. That is the good news of the gospel. Are you awake? It is 12 o'clock. That's the good news of the gospel, yo. Like you are going to stand there and be declared innocent because of what Jesus has done. And you're going to say, I did nothing. Nothing. What must I do to inherit eternal life? If it were up to me to do it, I would screw it up. And I've screwed it up every day of my entire life. And yet, Jesus has done it in my place. And he's done it perfectly. What that doesn't mean is that we say, oh, I don't have to do anything. Wash my hands of all this and just move on with my life. Because what the gospel does, when you've seen the one who has shown you mercy, received that grace, had your heart transformed by the power of the gospel, is that now you're free. You're free from your self-justifying heart, which means you can strive to live a life that loves the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all of your strength. You can strive to love your neighbor as yourself, but not to prove something to the Lord, but because it's already been given to you which means that we can be extravagantly compassionate toward people and it's actually genuine. Because if I'm trying to justify myself and my compassion, I'm actually using that person for a self-serving reason. Does that make sense? I actually think that if I just cared enough about Jamie Shipman, then maybe one day God will let me into heaven. I'm just using Jamie Shipman at that point. No. No. We can be extravagantly compassionate when we've taken hold of the gospel because I'm free from having to justify myself. It's gone. And now there's this one, Jesus, who has shown mercy to me and I can just pour that out on other people at no cost to myself without using them in any sort of way in a genuine, loving, compassionate kind of way. And I'm free in all of my brokenness and in all of my imperfection and with all of my idiosyncrasies and all of my deep hidden idols to try to learn to love the Lord my God with all that I am all of the time. And it's gonna be imperfect and there are gonna be times where it's broken and it doesn't look the best and yet I'm free because Jesus has justified me. He has loved the Lord perfectly, the Father in my place. And so I'm free in my work to love the Lord and allow my work to be an overflow of that love. In my hobbies to love the Lord and allow my hobbies to be an overflow of that love. In the things that I like and the things that I don't like, in my marriage or in your parenting or in your hobbies or whatever the case might be. You just love God the best you can and allow all the rest of your life to be an overflow of that worship. Because Jesus has justified you and you don't have to. That's the beauty of the gospel. And so you you look back at this passage and you take away a couple of things for certain. Number one, your right answers won't save you. Note, the expert in the law got the answer to the question right two times out of two times. And yet he walked away in a hopeless situation. So it's not about having the right answers. The other thing you take away is that self-justification or self-salvation absolutely will not save you. Because the man walks away with a task that's utterly impossible. And so you get to the end of 
this particular parable and you think to yourself, well, what in the world would you have to do to inherit eternal life? And the answer is nothing. Jesus has done it. And what you must do is receive what God's grace has given. And that is salvation through Jesus and through Jesus Christ alone. And then you are free. Free to love the Lord with all you are, not having to justify yourself, but a worshipful response for what he's done for you and free to be extravagantly, extravagantly compassionate to the world around you. Not to justify yourself, but because you've got a depth of compassionate resources available to you that would not be available otherwise. So we see people beaten up and bruised and bloodied and stripped naked by the reality of sin in the world, and we have a spiritual answer for them. It's the hope of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. We also see people who have physical, tangible needs, mental, emotional, circumstantial realities, like we're talking about with Care Portal, and we can be extravagantly compassionate toward them with physical realities alongside the spiritual truth of the gospel. That is the good news of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. He is the one who has shown mercy. What must you do to inherit eternal life? Hide yourself inside of Christ and allow him to be the one who inherits it for you. Amen? Amen. We're going to close in worship like we always do, and we're going to Start with a song that we sing around here fairly common, uh, fairly routinely. And so the words have maybe become common to you. Um, I just, I want to highlight the third verse of this. The third verse says this. What riches of kindness he's lavished on us. His blood was the payment, his life was the cost. We stood neath a debt we could never afford. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You stand beneath a debt you could never afford, which means no self-justifying strategy of yours is ever going to work. But praise the Lord. His mercy is is more. He has lavished riches of kindness upon us. Yes? Amen. Let's stand up and sing.
worship. Let's lift up this song just speaks of the goodness of God. Let's, let's sing this to him. Every breath that I 
We're going to sing one more song as we close today. Let's lift this song up. Hallelujah for the cross.
If you're someone who has received God's grace through faith in Christ, your sin forgiven, the only encouragement this morning is to walk in the freedom of that. Release yourself from your sort of inborn desire to try to self-justify and instead live a worshipful life of response to the fact that Jesus has justified you in your place, on your behalf, all the risk, all the cost, all the burden, all upon himself, and now you're free. Free to love him completely and free to be extravagantly compassionate to those around you. If you've not received God's grace for the forgiveness of your sin, you can do that today. You might be with someone who would love to have a conversation with you about what that means. You could certainly come and find anyone on our staff and we would love to have a conversation with you about what that means. But you can be free from feeling like you need to justify yourself by the way that you live. And if you would just do enough, then you could inherit eternal life. You don't have to bear that weight. Jesus has bore it for you in your place. We would love to have a conversation with you about what that means. Let's pray and then we'll go. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that when we find ourselves trying to live well enough or do enough good or whatever the case might be to justify ourselves, God, we need only to look to the cross and see Jesus there in our place to be reminded that he is our justification. God, would you work in our hearts by the power of your spirit to illuminate the places where we might still be seeking to self-justify God and free us from those. Help us to cling to the cross. God, to live lives that love you with all of who we are all of the time in response to what Jesus has done on our behalf. Help us to live lives that are extravagantly compassionate to those around us, not to try to earn something by being compassionate, but because we have been shown mercy. God, for those who haven't received your grace for their justification by faith in Jesus, God, I pray that you would move powerfully in their hearts, open their hearts and their minds to the truth of Jesus. Help them to see him as the only sufficient savior. God, draw people to yourself. Draw your people more closely to yourself, God. Would we cherish the one who has shown us mercy at all times and in all things, God? And would that be what marks the way we live, not an effort to justify ourselves? God, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hey, real quick before you go, um, every so often we like to do sort of an open house for people who might be new to our church or kind of exploring our church. It's a chance for you to meet a pastor, talk a little bit more about how you might be able to get connected a little more deeply here at LCF. And so if that's you, if you kind of find yourself in that category, I want to invite you to go right out the middle doors here. There's a, a welcome bag for you out there. We'd love to be able to meet you. Some of our pastoral staff is here. We'd love to be able to talk to you, talk about how it is that you might plug into some ministries or answer any questions you might have about us as a church. We'd love to be able to do that with you this morning. If you don't fit that category, hey, thanks for being here again this morning. Uh, we love you and we'll see you again soon. Have a great week.